0: So, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, an important time to educate ourselves on resources and raise awareness on ending sexual violence. Sexual assault is a pervasive crisis in South Asian communities, but our culture of silence inhibits many survivors from accessing the support they need. Joining me this morning for this crucial discussion are Rachna Kari and Pam Odell from Daya, a Houston-based organization that empowers South Asian and other similar immigrant survivors of domestic and sexual violence. So without further ado, let's just start and dive right in because it's so important to talk about it. And, um, you know, let's start with the basic, the definition of sexual violence. Assault.
1: Yeah. So, and it seems like it would be really basic, right? But we hear different terms: sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual violence. So, there's all different kind of terms that people uh, use to talk about talk about the issue. When we think of sexual violence as a as a broad category or sexual assault, I think the first thing that comes to people's mind is forcible rape, mm-hmm. right? But it's so much beyond that, right? So, sexual assault includes any unwanted touching, um, any uh, coerced sex as well, right? So that includes with drugs or with alcohol when you're in a state not to consent. Mm. Um, it involves words as well, right? So when we think about sexual harassment, when we think about people in positions of power who will use sexual innuendos with people, who will uh, threaten people, uh, who will force uh, sexual favors from people for advances in their career or in their schooling. Sexual violence really encompasses all of that, as well as people who were sexually, adults who are sexually abused as children. Those are survivors of sexual violence as well. And they may think, oh, well, so much time has passed, you know, or yeah. this happened to me when I was five and it was a family friend. I mean, we, we see these kinds of cases frequently at Daya and it's, Generally, from victims of domestic violence who also have these instances of sexual violence or sexual assault in their in their past, and all of that leads to what we call the continuum of of gender based violence. So it's really putting primarily women and at a more um, vulnerable state in that we we normalize these experiences and and women. People tend to grow to say like this is just the way it is. Um, we at Daya want to say that it doesn't. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, every sixty eight seconds somebody is sexually assaulted, and that is that's 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 insane. Like those statistics are just unacceptable. Yeah. Um, you know, really the other thing is we we think of that like stranger in the bushes, right? Or like a, a stranger commits rape. You know, our, our governor last year, um, maybe it was last year, said that our we will get all the rapists off the streets. So the reality is eight out of 10 times, the person committing the violence knows the victim and the victim knows that person. So it can get very complicated. Uh, it, it's often your partner or your friend or your coworker or your family member. It's somebody that knows you. And there's this grooming process that can happen where they will, um, get into your head and really think and, and the victim will feel like they owe it to that person. So our message is that really you never owe anyone mm. any kind of sexual contact, that, that your bodily autonomy is always yours, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you've been married for decades, whether you're a newlywed, um, Whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, however you identify in terms of gender identity or sexual orientation, sexual assault can happen to anyone. And it's happening quite frequent and it's happening by people that are known to the victim. And so it can get very complicated. And there's a lot of shame and guilt in our Mm -hmm. community to even talk about sex. And this is why victims have a hard time coming forward and seeking help because they think to themselves, did I do something to deserve this? And the, The reality is you never do, whether you're whether there's drugs or alcohol involved. When one person exerts power over another person to uh, exploit them in a in a sexual way, whether that's through penetrative sex, whether that's through touching, whether that's through kissing, whether that's through words. It's never, ever the victim's fault. Yeah. Wow. It is
0: um, you know, we don't talk about it, and also someone who has gone through it is really difficult mm-hmm. to even, you know, like share it, right? Because there's so much judgment, and uh, they always like what will what will the community think or what will the family think?
1: and you're you're asking yourself questions, oh, what could I have done differently? Yes. And then so for other people to ask the question of you, well, were you drinking? What were you, you know, i I hate that we're still asking. What were you wearing? I I hope that's less common now, but uh, frequently, especially for younger adults, oh, were you partying? Were you drinking? Were you on drugs? You know, a lot of people can engage in those activities and not sexually assault somebody. And so while drugs and alcohol can inhibit your judgment, it's never ever at the core. The core of sexual assault is always about entitlement, about power, about control. Okay so
0: for instance, if a friend you know comes to me and and uh, shares that what happened to her right and so how what as for me, what do I say or okay. how do uh, how, How do I make her feel like, you know, it's not her fault? What are the like, how do I begin the conversation? Because that is very difficult because we don't want to. It is hard. And we don't, you know, want to make her feel that it's her fault. So how do we begin that conversation?
1: I think that you just said it right. Like the words. I, you know, this is this wasn't your fault. Our, mm. Those words are so powerful because we never say them. It's not something you hear, and I and I want to believe there's so many wonderful allies out there that are thinking these things, that are thinking, "Oh my gosh, it's not this person's fault." But to vocalize that is very, very powerful. I think the most important things to say is, "It's not your fault." I'll keep this confidential. I'll mm. keep this a secret between you and I. There's lots of reasons why people don't want to report their sexual assault. And those are very valid reasons. I won't tell anyone is a powerful thing. And then I'm here to listen and help you find find help. And that can look like a a lot of different things, which we'll keep talking about. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) there's lots of ways. The bright the bright side is there's lots of ways to get help. Okay. So uh, why is it
0: important to raise awareness about uh, this topic each year? We talk about it. We've had you all every, you know, uh, every year on um, on Chai Time. So why why do we always have to stress on this topic?
1: I think that goes to like the overall impact of mm-hmm. sexual violence on on survivors. And I'll I'll let and, and not just survivors on everyone in the community. Right. And I'll let Pam talk a little bit about that, the way it impacts literally everybody. Oh, yeah, and absolutely.
2: I feel like sexual violence and just um, sexual assault as well, like it's such a scary thing to think about happening to you or someone that you love that like you want it to be like, okay, physically, that person's ears are like this. So I know that they're like a perpetrator, but it doesn't work that way. Like you can look at someone, know them your entire life and not realize that they are someone who's committing sexual assault. And um One thing, I've had the privilege of being an instructor at Rice University teaching a course in critical thinking and sexuality, and it was kind of mind-boggling to me to learn that a lot of students, like particularly male students, didn't really understand sexual assault, like how that it happened or like behaviors that they may or may be not be doing were actually very harmful, like mm-hmm. not realizing that asking someone repeatedly um, to have sex with them until like that no and turned into a yes, like they didn't realize that was wrong. They're like, no, I don't know. I finally like they said yes. So it's fine. But um, so, yeah, I think just kind of spreading that awareness, like a lot of people in our community are perpetrating sexual assault. And I know that's not something that we really want to believe is happening. Um, that people in our, like, community members are capable of such harm. But I think through spreading this awareness, like, we'll not only create this like safety for survivors to get the support and healing that they need, but also build this education around what you can do to be respectful in relationships. Mm-hmm. How can you be sure that you're treating people safely?
1: I love that. I love that so much. And that's so true because I think a lot of times we put our lens on survivors and especially at Daya, we put our 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 eye on always what it is that survivors need. But you're right, like building awareness about this topic can help prevent it in a multitude of ways because there's a lot of reasons like the media and in music and in movies and on TV where, you know, that's a great example. Like consistently like asking someone again and again and again to have sex until they break down and finally say yes. Like that's part of like comedy. Right. And it's actually like we we have to separate the art from the reality there because in real life that's not – that's actually forcing somebody to have sex with you, which is, um, again, I would hope with the right education, not a thing that most people want to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: so let's let's talk about consent, mm-hmm. you know, like let's define consent first and kind of because that is also something that a lot of people get confused about when, you know, with the word consent.
1: Yeah, so I love that you and we can both uh, talk about our ideas about consent, because I love that you said the word consent, because of the beauty of consent and maybe the hard part, too, is that it's not just words. So you can hear. Yeah, OK, fine. And you may that technically, you know, that's a yes. Right. But the thing about consent and I remember for many years I hear people say, oh, what do you want me to get somebody to sign a contract before we have sex? Like, absolutely not. Like, that's why it's not just the words like read somebody's body language. Are they pushing away from you a little bit? Are they tensing up when you come near them? Are they are they pausing? Are You know, s- s- silence to me, there used to be when I was young, <laughs> you all remember, it, we used to say like, uh, no means no, right? Yes. But we've flipped yes. that a little bit. Now it's like, a y- you need a yes. Like the, the absence of a no is not a yes. Right. And so I think it's important to know that just because someone doesn't say no does not mean that they're saying yes. Right. Like, are they in and even if they say yes, what are the what are the stipulations around this? Have you asked them to Pam's point a million times to have sex with you? Are you are they in your house and they can't, you know, easily and comfortably leave the situation? Are they intoxicated and can't drive home? There's all these factors. Mm -hmm. And really, to me, whenever you're in a position um, where you even pause for a second because you think, hey, something's not quite right, or this person is pausing, a pause to me is a clear no. The thing about sex, and I think like young people here have kind of scarcity mentality around sex, like, oh my gosh, I have to have sex, you know, and it's like, no, this can also happen next week. This can also happen next month. This can also happen next year. And consent to me requires not just a verbal yes, but it requires um, a biological yes, a uh, physical yes as well. Okay.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. And I think just kind of adding on that, like, I don't think you should ever make assumptions around consent as well. Like, even though you might be married to someone or have mm. been together for a long time, you can't just always assume that whenever you would like to have sex, like they have to give it to you. Like, no one owes that to you. And so it's important that, um, you know, you really keep that communication. A lot of consent, like Rachana was kind of explaining, is that communication, like talking to each other and also that not those nonverbal cues, like are they pulling away are they kind of like their mind isn't there Mm -hmm. um are they just like not really moving like paying attention to all of that and also like I know like whenever you're married even though it might feel like oh it's our anniversary like we're supposed to do it but if you don't want to like you don't have to yeah Yeah. and I I think
1: it right it it makes for I think it makes for kind of you know, it's the stereotype we see on like sitcoms, right, about like yeah. the wife being like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. But really that okay, fine is not okay, fine. Like yeah. it's actually okay to like not it, – it's actually – you shouldn't have sex when you don't want to have sex. I think like that's always the messaging that we're trying to get out there is that no one owes anyone sex no matter what that relationship looks like yeah so i guess the conversation the communication has to change
0: the words have to change Mm -hmm. like no i don't want you know i don't want to do it today and Mm -hmm. basically you know that it has to come out right that way right for for us as couples
1: or you know and i think that there's a lot of times where especially for young boys and young men growing young men like they are also taught messaging where they're supposed to want to have sex all the time, or how could you not want to have sex? You know, like it it almost emasculates them if they don't want to have sex. And that's also poor messaging. It's completely fine for people of any gender identity to want or not want sex. You know, girls who want to have sex are sluts, and boys who don't want to have sex are prudes. And there's yeah, got to be a labeling, change. Yeah, oh like there's got to be a change there. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any um sort of
0: like uh what do you call it with you know y- y- like if organizations that go to schools talk about it or
2: is there anything as such that <laughs> is <laughs> Um, yeah, so, like, actually, Daya does um, go to schools. Our director of prevention and education, Tisha right. does does um, this wonderful healthy relationships yeah. training where um, she talks about sex and as part of not just, like, you know, how to, like, do it, but, like, how, like, to communicate, like, what or how can you learn about what you like about sex, like, the, uh, talking about pleasure and talking about consent, like a very kind of holistic mm-hmm. view of Um, having sex and um, healthy relationships. Um, And I know there are a lot of other great organizations like Dyer who are doing the work. Um, And then I know for me, I actually learned about sex at school, seventh grade biology class. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, I I assume still like for South Asian kids, a lot of their parents probably are not talking to them about it. Um, And so school is a place where, they learn, like, you know, Mm -hmm. you go, you learn about math. That should be a place where you uh, should have that safe space to learn about sex and relationships as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what
0: does a healthy relationship look like when it comes to sexual health?
2: Um, Right. So I think sex, like, even though it's such a kind of omnipresent thing in our lives. We actually don't talk about sexual health very much, which mm-hmm. I always thought was kind of strange. Um, but yeah, sex and sexual health are very important. Um, so we definitely need to normalize talking and learning about it a lot more. Um, and DC culture is largely a purity-based culture where yeah. we place a very high emphasis on abstinence, um, especially for women. Um, like and isn't women- that
1: happening in the schools too, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean- Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of abstinence-based, sorry to interrupt, but oh, I think, no, like, absolutely. that's the messaging a lot of kids are getting, and that's scary, right. you know? No, yeah, that, I
2: remember in ninth grade in my health class, I took it over the summer, so it was the football coach who was teaching it. Oh, my. And <laughs> our, um, yeah, our sex education was like, okay, raise your hand if you want to marry a virgin. And oh, my obviously, gosh. everyone raised their
1: hand, and he was like, so then stay virgins. <laughs>
2: And that was, it. That was really? it yeah that was my sex
1: education and so for class. parents out there that's yeah. a message you mm-hmm. really need to be doing some work at home too yeah absolutely um and so yeah because of this kind of like purity
2: culture oftentimes sex and discussions of sex outside of marriage and they see like families is highly stigmatized mm-hmm. and um, even considered like sinful like you know yeah. it's a bop to even talk about it or like touch yourself or think about it um, so even if a kid is, asking their parents questions like out of just genuine curiosity mm-hmm. um, because it is something like uh, like as kids kind of uh, get to you know fourth or fifth grade they're hearing about it yeah. and like obviously they want to go to their parents who they've learned so much about but I think a lot of parents they're so uncomfortable they feel like you know I don't want my kid having sex yet let me just shut this down but I <laughs> really don't think that's what you should do because then it creates this shame Mm. and so people associate um having sex or um thinking about sex with something that's like they they, like they shouldn't do it or like they can't talk to their parents about it like they'll get in trouble Mm. so i
1: have a question Mm -hmm. what's a
0: good age for you to have this conversation with your child because My nine year old, then was five years old, heard the word sex and came to me and asked me. And I said, Oh, it just
1: means male or female.
2: I wasn't sure. That that was. <laughs> You're like, Biological sex.
1: You're like, I answered it. <laughs>
2: That's what I said. But
1: honestly, you know, I feel like you can start these conversations as early as possible. And we've, you know, especially when it comes to preventing sexual violence. Great opportunities. When you have a one, two-year-old, and we've talked about this on the show yeah. before, yeah. don't force the hug. They don't have to hug or kiss yeah. you or their, you know, retchnamosi or anybody, right? right. Like it's yeah. as much as I want to hug you, as you know, because they're adorable, yeah. knowing that their their body is theirs, right? Yeah. It's a very easy lesson to start that early. And that's going to prime them to come to you if somebody violates that boundary when it comes to talking about actually the act of sex, it's going to vary by parent, by child. But if you're starting the conversation about bodily autonomy yeah. at a young age, that conversation is only going to get easier. And you know, now, now you're nine years behind. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Seven years behind. You're good. Sir. But really, what what sex can look like in a healthy relationship? I always come back to equality, respect, um, and and choosing each other. Like, I feel like intimacy is this great privilege of choosing somebody and they're choosing you. And I don't mean like you have to be married or together in this really official capacity. But even in that situation, you are both making an informed decision to choose each other. And that's actually really powerful. And it leads to, um, A great interaction, whether that's whether that's a long term interaction or not. I mean, we you know people break up too, right? So right, and
2: yeah. So for many people, like as Retina was saying, that like sex is a big part of their intimate relationship, and so having a healthy sex life has also um, been shown to be good for you emotionally and physically. So it's really important that you know people take the time, like individually, to kind of think through their boundaries, like what gives them pleasure, learn about themselves, really think through. Like what am I okay with? What am I not okay with? And then communicate that, and so that you can build that trust with your partner. Like whether you're together for the first time or you've been together for sixty years, like it's always important to be able to have that open communication, that good dialogue. Yeah, I think that's really um, like once you have that healthy um, dialogue, that's where you can have that great sexual health within your relationship.
1: And I feel like that's a really good point because. like Pam was talking about this purity culture, this idea that we shouldn't talk about sex, um, then makes it difficult for as an adult to talk about sex because you've never talked about it before, and so that's a really nice red flag for you, right? Like if you're having trouble, if you feel afraid to ask for what you want and/or including saying no to things, then that's that's a, that's a that's a red flag right that that you're feeling fear there's a difference of course between feeling embarrassment nervousness Versus, oh, I'm afraid to tell this person no. And so those are kind of those instinctual red flags that we like to tell people about.
2: Yeah. yeah and then also on the receiving end, be open to kind of hearing what your partner has to say yes. and actually respect what they're telling you. Like if they are saying that they do not like this, they don't want to do this, don't force them, don't pressure them, just kind of respect what they want to do so that you can keep that trust. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And like what uh, Sasha was saying, like at what age, but then Mm -hmm. also the next question is uh, as a parent for young children, Mm -hmm. how do you start that dialogue?
1: How do you? Wow. Yeah. Did you? It's it's, like you knew uh, what that is starting a lot of pro. uh, We're starting to build a lot of materials, Tisha is about starting these conversations with children of various ages. So we're creating some materials. What we want to do at Daya is partner with parents and young people to help these conversations flow naturally between these two trusting people, the parent and the child, right? No one's saying it's not awkward, right? Like we we know it's going to be an awkward conversation no matter what, but that doesn't mean we don't talk about things just because they're awkward, right? And so we're hoping that... Um, helping facilitate these conversations through tools and tips will be very helpful for our community. And some of the, some of the, uh, suggestions that we have are being really open-ended and, and listeners as parents. L- let your child do most of the talking about what they think sex is or what they're learning about sex or what they've heard about sex so that you can see kind of where their baseline is and how to make sure that there's consent and respect and safety in everything that they're telling you. And you can interject those messages of equality, of safety, of you should always feel feel good about the situation. You can choose to change your mind at any time.
0: Yeah, that's a great point because like we always consider our kids—they don't know anything—but somehow so they, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. they do. They have such uh, like early access yes. to so
0: much information. Yes, now. Yeah. especially now oh, yeah. all kinds of you know social media and everything else, mm-hmm. right? So it's uh, and unfortunately, it's different- no
1: one's fact-checking everything on the internet, right? And right, so as a parent, you can get ahead of that. You can start the conversation. Okay,
0: so um, it's time for break. Sasha's given us <laughs> the signal. <laughs> All right, so let's go on a short break. And when we return, we will continue our conversation with uh, Rachna Kare and Pam Odle from Daya, Houston. This is Chai Time on 99.5 FM. Welcome back to Chai Time on 99.5 FM. Uh, today's topic is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. We are talking with uh, Pam Odle and Rachna Kare from Daya, Houston. And uh, we've been having such a great discussion, especially about ways that we have to change our, you know, dialogues. We're talking with kids or even with friends mm-hmm. and things like that. So let's just continue with that. Um, OK, so what uh, what barriers do sexual assault survivors in the South Asian community face when they want to get help?
2: Um, right. So South Asian survivors encounter many barriers, you know, unfortunately. Um, so some of them are like accessing support, mm. um, in, uh, or to accessing support, I should say. Um, so some of these barriers are like if they are limited English speaking, mm-hmm. um, their visa status, mm-hmm. if they have limited financial resources, um, if they uh, have like a lack of knowledge about rights available to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also something we see in a lot of South Asian survivors, particularly is there's a distrust in systems um, like, you know, like back home um, speaking, I guess, a little bit more about India like you can't really rely on a lot of, you know, the police or other kind of government systems there because there is a lot of corruption. And um, it just like for a lot of survivors there, they don't feel safe. And so when they come here, they carry that kind of distrust and yeah. um, lack of like uh, like being able to rely on uh, systems in place here to the U.S. or throughout the diaspora as well. Um, but I think the biggest barrier is the one that's, like, at the root of our community, and that is that cultural stigma. Mm-hmm. And like, the worry of what people will say, like, ge" or kenge." Um, and sexual assault is very much seen as a taboo topic in South Asia. And yeah. this is something that we carried with us to the West. Um, it's not like that stigma. We didn't leave it whenever we got onto the airplane. Yeah. Um And so to me, it can sometimes feel like talking about sexual assault, um, talking about survivors of sexual assault, how to help victims of sexual assault can sometimes actually be seen as less acceptable in Desi cultures than actually committing sexual assault. Oh,
1: that's so true. Um,
2: And so, yeah, because of the stigma and the silence um, surrounding sexual assault, we're really feeding this rape culture in South Asian communities. And rape culture is a culture— in which, you know, sexual violence is treated as the norm, and victims are blamed for their own assaults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not just about sexual violence itself, but about, you know, these cultural norms that protect rapists, um, shame victims, and demand that women make unreasonable sacrifices <laughs> to avoid sexual assault. Um, and so because of this rape culture, South Asian survivors do not often disclose their sexual assault, um, and those who do are frequently blamed in Ostracized for being honest about their experiences. Some can even be cut off from their family um, and communities um, because, you know, is that their, you know, honor is such a big factor. Mm-hmm. And the stigmatization of sexual assaults in South Asian um, communities, um, and so you know, preserving one on, one's honor and the family's honor is often seen as more important than one's own safety. So you know, women are the ones who usually embody shame and honor in South Asian cultures. Um, so they're expected to you know be respectful and chaste and reserved. Um, but women are also at the same time the ones who are held accountable for anything that might shame the family and. So this leads to a culture of silence surrounding sexual assaults because victims want to avoid, you know, shaming the family um, yeah. and risking punishments like, you know, being cut off. Um, and so it's this kind of shadowy silence that sexual violence kind of festers and continues to permeate our communities. Mm. Um, and the reality is that this is a big problem in our community. Mm-hmm. A 2022 study Of 18 to Mm -hmm. 34-year-old South Asian Americans living near the New York region um, found that 85% of those participants experienced some form of sexual assault. Um, And so that's obviously a very astounding number. Um, And also important to notice that of those survivors, a large proportion, about 65%, reported that at least one of their perpetrators was South Asian. Um, so sexual assault is affecting so many youths and other members of our community, and it is being perpetrated by so many in our community. Um, and so this is a very big problem that we are definitely not acknowledging enough.
1: And if you're, if you're a perpetrator, as again, 80% of the time is someone you know, when, when a daughter goes to her parents and says, Hey, you know, our family friend or my cousin, Or my uncle touched me inappropriately or did this thing to me or, uh, or kissed me, right? They, many times they're told, okay, just don't, don't talk about that because it's, it's just, it's just, people don't know what next step to take. And oftentimes people have experienced the same kind of violence, right? So the more you experience it, you've experienced it, you pushed it down, and now you're asking your children to do the same.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, but when I like look at movies now, when I compare to before, things have changed, like things are changing for the better. Um, If they're bringing out topics as such as, you know, being a survivor and how they they stand up for their right and they fight for it. So this is something I mean, kudos to. To uh, Bollywood movies, taking that step, yeah. you know, taking it further than just being the victim, and just and
1: that's such a good example of where if you're watching a movie like that with your children, yes. or with your friends, or with your family, to and I've said this before too, you hit pause and you say, oh my gosh, what a great example,
0: yeah,
1: of supporting survivors of breaking this, of this, of breaking the stigma, yeah, because it's great to call out the way we want to call out. Um, and we should call out the the bad things that we see we can do the same with the positive messages that we're seeing too and uplift those positive messages too
0: yeah exactly so um how big is this problem in our community and why is this crime so
1: underreported so i think really it's what what pam talked about the prevalence of it my gosh that is is so big and and you you've talked too about all the the barriers and why people don't Report and the only thing I'll add to that um, that and then you can add some more too is that the the distrust in the systems is is so real and that is true for people um, that are born here as well. We've seen t- kind of time and time again um, women of all backgrounds come forward, um, especially in the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. with allegations of sexual assault that were uh, discredited. That uh, the the abuse of person saw no accountability, no repercussions. So the the message we're sending is like, okay, even if you come forward, justice may not happen. And unfortunately, like that's the reality. One of the biggest lessons I've had in this work is that rightfully so, our justice system is built to protect the person being um, accused, right? Because you're in America, you're innocent until proven guilty, hopefully, right? And and so a lot of these systems are focusing on making sure that that perpetrator has the the infrastructure to prove their innocence, right, versus um, giving justice to the victim. And that's why community-based organizations, victim services organizations are so important because we exist only for that reason, only to help the victims find healing and justice. And I'll tell you, it is not often like your day in court. My my friend, uh, Aparna Bhattacharya, who leads Raksha in Atlanta, similar to Daya, she wants to have a whole event on this, on how in TV and movies, victims get kind of their day in court yeah. and get to tell their story. The reality is that that's, that's not the way courtrooms often work. And so when victims are looking for justice, we as a community need to be more innovative about how how are we defining justice. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I would um, just kind of adding to that, I think another thing that kind of makes this problem really complicated is whenever you add technology into yes. it. Um And so especially for the youth now, like as technology kind of modernizes and grows and innovates, unfortunately that's reflected in sexual assaults as well. Like more and off uh, more and more often it's happening digitally, like um, through non-consensual image sharing or um, through just other kind of ways of stalking someone online. Mm -hmm. And so that's also something that like, as like, you know, we've learned about how sexual assault can happen in intimate partner violence um, or intimate partner relationships. And now it's like, okay, well technology is being introduced to it. So unfortunately, like a lot of advocates for, kind of lagging and trying to keep up with like how these things are evolving and trending. And um, so yeah, that's also I think one of the big problems is just kind of keeping up with technology as well. And
1: I think at the very like, also, we think of it just like, we can sit for a second and think about it right now, all of our listeners, how scary it would be to go make a police report against somebody you know, Yeah, you don't necessarily want that person to go to jail. You don't want this to become public, right? And if it's a stranger, if the, if it, a stranger or acquaintance sexual assault, how scary that is? Do they know where you live? What are going to, what, what could they do to retaliate? There's a lot of fear out there and it all, you know, you, who's going to believe me? Yeah. And then if you, if after your sexual assault, you take a shower and throw away the clothes that you were wearing during the assault. Where's your evidence? Right. A lot of reporting has to do with evidence and, and sexual violence is 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 broad and involves a lot of approaches that Pam's talking about, uh, posting uh, altered images of you to make you look naked. Right. Whether that's a real picture or not. Right. That can spread like wildfire. And what are the the repercussions of that? And is it worth it? And I've we've talked to unfortunately. Many victims who have said that process of reporting to the police and going through the legal system ended up not being worth it for them. But I want to tell survivors out there that that the reporting doesn't have to look like this official reporting to police, that there's organizations like that that are here to help you. In, in the ways that, that we can honoring the ways that you want to tell your story, because it may not be to the police or to a court or to a lawyer. It may be to a therapist, right? It may yeah. be to, um, a support group. It may be to, you know, dealing it with your, you know, working on yourself through meditation and healing through different modalities. And, and we're here to help you think through all those options. Like what can your healing look like. And working with law enforcement and reporting can be one part of it, but it doesn't have to be. And it definitely doesn't have to be the whole the whole piece of it. Yeah. And, I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned, Pam,
0: about uh, digital, because yeah. that is something that didn't even like occur in my mind, you know, because we constantly talk about everything else, but we don't right. talk about the, the digital part of it and how that also mentally affects uh, a survivor and how they, you know, it Things can go wrong for a lot of. uh,
1: Lots of trauma, right? I mean, if if these rumors start about you and and nowadays people can all these texts can be anonymous, right? You can't even trace it back to a person. And you think of some somebody who's in high school um, or actually at any age. And it can it's it's very it's very traumatic. It's a kind of bullying that you can't trace back. Right. And this is, again, without the right mental health support, without the supportive people around you, your family, your friends, your community, there's a risk for suicide there too yeah. as well. And so this all ties ties together because these traumas unfortunately lead to more pain for for survivors. Right.
2: Yeah, and yeah, just because something happened on a screen and not like someone didn't touch you like physically, yep. like, that doesn't mean that they're like that hurt wasn't still there. Like it might even hurt more, like mm-hmm. especially like with how um, digital our communities are now especially with community um, with our they see community like everything is everyone talks on whatsapp or everyone yeah. is on facebook and so if someone does post a picture of you there without your consent that is so damaging and especially like again in our you know very conservative culture is like If someone um, like if something that like that does happen as someone like that kind of shame and um, kind of uh, just um, really like trauma that they'll feel from the community and that ostracization is really difficult. And so, yeah, that um, on screens, in person, every form of sexual assault is something that we need to make sure that we are aware of and (laughs) that we can really support
1: survivors and like help stop Yeah. And in some ways, you know, it it goes back to that family reputation you were talking Mm -hmm. about, too, because if something gets out on WhatsApp, you may have never wanted, you know, obviously you didn't want that to get out. And that might have been the reason that you didn't report, but it can get out anyway. And then that repercussion of, oh, I've tarnished my family's reputation. The good, the good news on this is though, like as family members, we can start prioritizing loving our people over the reputation of our family. And I'm going to use the term reputation real loosely. What is that? You know, what does it even matter? What somebody is saying about your family? If at your core, this goes back to healthy relationships. If there's equity, if there's love, communication mm-hmm. and, and trust amongst a family. We, should, we need to be choosing each other inst- over our reputation.
0: Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so share with us some of the services that uh, Daya provides to sexual assault survivors.
1: Yes, so I think this is really important. Um, Daya's services, of course, are open to any survivor of sexual violence. If you are even considering, maybe have experienced a sexual assault Maybe that's what that was. Maybe that's why I'm feeling depressed or anxious. I encourage you to make a phone call. So our helpline is 713-981-7645. And at the beginning, we provide safety planning. And what that looks like is thinking about your physical safety as well as your emotional safety so coping mechanisms referrals and resources on on what your rights are you mm-hmm. know uh, um referrals to legal services and we will walk along that process with you right so if it is a situation we will always talk through options that okay. is that's what we are what we are here for is here are all your options and then, you know, let's work together and see what, what these options could look like and which ones you want to pursue or and which ones you want to pursue first. So maybe you want to go through the legal system. Maybe you want to make a police report. I will go with you through all of these processes. At the same time, there's other things, right? If, you're, if you are sexually assaulted recently, there's, there's medical support that is uh, free and confidential for you that is state funded. That is your right as a victim of sexual assault. We will go with you to the hospital. We have connections with with the nurses that perform these exams to make sure that you are safe, that you have not gotten an STI, that you have not, that you are not pregnant, you know, those types of safety issues, and can also document and capture all that evidence if and when you would like to make a report in the future. So it puts a pause on you so you don't have to think, oh my gosh, I have to make this report right now, right? So that's that's a really, it's called a SANE exam, um, yeah. sexual assault nurse examiners, and um, that that's a that's an exam that we can accompany you with. Uh, accompany you to. The other thing is the mental health support. We have found that survivors of sexual assault need special kind of services, right? What has been violated is their body and in their and even their sense of self within their own body. So at Daya, we provide counseling that includes spe- counseling specific for trauma. So things that don't involve, you may not be ready to talk about your abuse, but it also involves mind-body work to help you form connections back with your body because you should always feel strong and good and safe in your own body. And that's always going to be our goal. And then all of the advocacy services, right? Helping connect you to support groups with other survivors, helping you share your story later on if that's something you're interested in doing, but most, most, most importantly, helping you regain that control over your physical and mental wellness. And we have a variety of ways to do that. Everything from legal, criminal justice, systems advocacy to mental health. It is always in your hands. It's always at your speed as a survivor. It's always your choice. And so I I really encourage anyone that has been a survivor of sexual assault, no matter when it happened, to call our helpline because there is support there for you. There, it's a completely non judgmental zone at Daya and it's completely, completely confidential.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are ways to prevent sexual assault in our communities?
2: Um,
1: well, there's so many. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I feel like, um, like <laughs> yeah, it really, I think it starts from education, like yeah. really learning about what like what sexual assault is, um, what the patriarchy is and how that kind of, yeah. how we assign gendered norms to, you know, certain, like to males or females and all genders. Um, so really kind of thinking that through learning about, you know, how, um, Like, you know, violence against women. So really educating yourself on the issue is definitely, I think, one of the first things that um, will help prevent further violence. And then the next thing is definitely like taking what you've learned and talking to people about it. Mm-hmm. Um and I know that's not um that's a very comfortable yeah. thing to do. Exactly. Like especially in our culture. Like no one wants to go to a family dinner and talk about sexual assault. <laughs> um, but that is really how you kind of start to change the culture is by having everyone kind of change their mindset. So starting like at that kind of grassroots individual level, having those conversations with people kind of, um, And it can come from kind of like a sharing first. So like talking about like, oh, like I've learned this or like, you know, uh, this happened to me when I was younger and I just recently learned now that that was assault. Um, And so coming from a place where you're sharing first, it allows other people that safety to also kind of talk about what happened to them Mm -hmm. um, and creating those bonds. Um, And so once, you know, we all kind of have this kind of strong community of bonds, we're able to make sure that we have this safety. for survivors where no one will fall through. Everyone can kind of have that safe space, those services and that dignity that they deserve. Um, So that can also prevent further violence as well.
1: And I think one of the some like quick and easy asks that I always have for the community is that like you can it is an uncomfortable topic and, and it can And it encompasses so much. I mean, we're talking about like patriarchy and gender norms. This can be very difficult for people, but you can always start from a place of modeling and speaking about what a healthy relationship looks like Mm. so that other, no matter what the age, that people can start to recognize what an unhealthy relationship looks like, right? So modeling that is really important. Um, And then calling people in, right? So there are going to be the the misogynistic jokes out there. And if you if you say, hey, that's not funny, you may be afraid to say something like that out loud because you don't want people to say, oh, you're being too sensitive. Oh, yeah. my gosh, this is going too far. Oh, people are too upset about things. OK, yes, we've all heard that. What you can do is pull if it this is somebody that you trust and care about. It's really great to pull somebody aside later or give them a call later and say, hey, when you made this joke, like. It hurt me for these reasons, because I know your I know your heart and I and I want to believe that you don't find something like this funny. And so that might that's a great way to like help end that culture person by person in your life. you know, but I do think that modeling what healthy relationships looks like, um, re, if you feel like you have a friend or a loved one that might need help, finding a time to talk to them privately and say, hey, I've seen this change in you. I'm worried about you. I want to make sure everything's okay. And also, I mean, I did this at the beginning of April. It's easier for me, I'll say, working at Daya. But I sent a mass text message to all my friends, and I said, hey, I'm just going to put this out here, and this might sound a little weird. But if any, if you or anyone you know has experienced, like, sexual assaults either recently or long in the past, just know that they can... That you can talk to me and I'm here for you. Just that, right? And I feel yeah. like everyone has the power to do that within their, within their networks, within their circle of friends. Cause now you know that you can say to that person, yeah. I believe you. You didn't deserve this. And let's find some ways for you to get help. And mm. we can be one of those ways. Yeah. Please, by all means, give yeah. people our, <laughs> our phone number. And we're, we're happy to go on that journey. I mean, that's what we're here for. Yeah. So do
0: y'all uh, personally have seen changes within our South Asian communities?
2: Like, just uh, like, like positive, positive changes. changes. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, I, I do. I want to get your perspective right. on things
0: because y'all are always out in, yes. in, involved with the community. So yeah. how, you know, how much change, uh, you know, have you all seen? And, you know, is it positive, negative Any which way?
2: I think you can see a lot of change, honestly, generationally. Um, Right. With the older generation, um, quite honestly, it is more women who are involved with Dia, who volunteer, who donate, come to our events. But with the younger generation, especially like, you know, with college students and high school students, we see all of them getting involved. Um, Mm. Young men, young boys, young girls, young women, they're all working together because they all realize this is an issue that is on them to help solve. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's been a very positive thing to realize um, that now uh, people are like taking responsibility and trying to help address this big issue. Yeah,
1: It's very hard too because it's it's a it's an issue that's generations old. Right. And so it can't be fixed in. A decade, right? Or in even that has been around for 27 years. We we can't solve it yet, right? Because this is this is thousands of years old. The idea that um, that a woman's body is to be owned, that a woman is to be owned. There are things that are are so like strong, like these cultural ideas that are so normalized in yeah. our in our culture that are going to take just as long to change. But we have to go. With the small wins, you know, and I and I want to always believe that the more people come forward with their own stories and, you know, God bless those people, because it is the stories that change people's hearts. Right. It's never it's not the statistics. It's always the stories. It's always once you know, somebody is when you get it. The reality is we all know somebody. Um. And so i I, I want to believe that those stories help change people's hearts and minds around how serious this issue is and and what the impact is and the ongoing impact. so my hope is that the more conversations like these that we have, the yeah. more people can start to fight against those norms even in their own personal lives and change those change those norms, yeah. All right. Wow. It's almost time to wrap
0: up. So I just want to ask you all what exciting events do you, does Daya have mm. coming up?
2: Um, yeah, so we have our annual storytelling event, Brown Bodies Fold Stories, oh, yeah. um, where we'll hear stories, poems, songs, um, and spoken word pieces from community members that are all going to celebrate the power of representation, um, specifically like Asian representation. And our keynote speaker. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is one of our favorite events so of the great. year. And yeah, we're so um, thankful that we get to have Varsha Bajaj um, speak this year. And she is a New York Times bestselling children's book author. Um, So, yeah, we're excited to have her kind of speak and talk about her journey and um, about how much she's seen, like having that representation, like what it's uh, Mm -hmm. how she's seen that change for, um, you know, South Asian boys and girls throughout the U.S. Uh, And so the event will take place on Saturday, May 6th um, at the Houston Public Library Central Library location from 11 to 1. And more information about the event can be found on our website, thyhouston.org, or Facebook page.
0: Yeah, and we'll share that also on That'd our Titan yeah. page as well.
1: Yeah. And is excellent. She has written Asian characters into her books, and also she recently co-created the American Doll, 2023 Doll mm-hmm. of the Year, which is a South Asian doll, Kavi Sharma. Wow. So, oh, wow. so she is going to talk about, I mean, I think back when I was little, we didn't have like South Asian American no. Dolls. <laughs> no. And so uh, she's going to talk about that process as right. well. So this will be Really cool to see. And of course, our favorite part is community members sharing their stories and poems. Really talented people out there.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rachna and Pam, for joining us this morning on Chai Time. Um, this was a very important topic to touch on, and we do this every year. So I really appreciate all that you know, you do the t- the whole entire team does uh, for our community. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for giving
0: us the platform. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into Chai Time.